Welcome back to Sacred Web Connections. I'm your host, Dara Bracamonte. We have a special guest today, a great friend of mine, Kim Cobb. Kim is calling from Sulphur Springs, Texas. She is very spiritual and has been on her journey for several years now. She's been working to sculpt her belief system into what it is today. And of course, it's still growing every day. She has managed to overcome her personal issues with religion and the way she was raised and kind of combined her belief systems into her own spirituality, which works great for her. I think this is so important right now in the world. I feel like people are hurting, people are scared. And um, unfortunately, a lot of that is coming from their their church or their temple or their place of worship where they're being instilled with fear. And I, I hate seeing it because God is beautiful, God is loving, and I, I just don't feel like people have a good understanding of who God really is outside of the church or outside of their place of worship. So. Uh, I think today it'll really help clarifying it with Kim. She's going to help us understand kind of how to integrate the two belief systems or even more than two. Um, And then tell us a little bit about herself and kind of how she came to be here. So before we go there, I do have a quote of the day. Actually, I have three quotes of the day. I couldn't decide. They were all so good. First one is peaceful atheists are far more spiritual than hateful theists by Fakir Ishavardis. Next one is, if you love God but hate his people, well then, you're not the Lord's people. That's also by Fakir. And then the last one is, spirituality is not taking shelter under religions or prophets, but making deep union with God that exists in every heart. That's Amit Ray walking the path of compassion. First, Kim, will you tell us just a little bit about yourself, like where you grew up and what religious system you were raised in? Absolutely. I grew up in East Texas and a very small town. For the most part, everyone knows everyone. So the minute that you do anything out of the norm, everybody knows. However, knowing that, you learn to be very careful about what you do and you don't do. This East Texas town, as we laugh and call it, it's the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. Texas is very conservative, and any time you step outside of what's your last name and where do you go to church, then you're on display for everybody to have an opinion about. The very, the craziest thing about it is that it was Baptist, but I chose to go on my own. Now, to back this up a little bit, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, but my mom tells me that we went to church as a family when I was much younger, but I have no memory of that at all. So I just started going to the local Baptist church whenever we, or whenever I was old enough to go on my own. I didn't go with my parents at that point. Okay, interesting. And what sort of brought you to the church if not your family? Donuts. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty smooth. Okay, so I know it sounds really, really funny, but in most typical Baptist churches, they go around knocking on the doors, you know, inviting you to church and... We have these programs for your children, and they would come by on a Saturday, and they would have, let's say, donuts or candy or some way of enticing, which sounds awful because it's like they were religious predators. They would walk up into your yard and knock on your door, and mom or dad would go to the door, and there would be all, which in my case were six children behind the door going, who is it? Who is it? What are they going to give us? And it was church people, and basically they were enticing us to come to church, and we'll pick you up on the church van, and when you get to church, you'll have donuts and chocolate milk and 
everything that a kid wants to hear when you're poor in East Texas. Oh my God. I have literally never heard of such a thing. I've never heard. I mean, I've heard of, you know, like Jehovah's Witness, they go door to door, they talk to people, mm-hmm. but literally bringing donuts and candy and chocolate milk, really? That is what they did to entice kids. It is. And unfortunately, and too sad too many times, it worked and it got the kids there. And for my own personal and in my family, I won't say for every family, but we were so poor that it actually gave us something to do on a weekend when we had nothing else to do. And that sounds awful, but it's very true. I mean, I I could see in a sense that, especially for families that don't have a lot of money, you know, on the weekends and stuff like that, if they have free food really anywhere, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a benefit, that's an opportunity. But to me, it it, like you said, Predator, it does seem like they preyed on the poor Mm -hmm. and enticed with food that they couldn't afford. On one hand, it, it can seem really sweet, really nice, really generous and giving. And on the other hand, it seems a little manipulative. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. The basis of religion right there, manipulation. Whatever it takes to get people in numbers in the door, honestly. And I believe that they had good intentions. However, I believe they did it very poorly. And what was it like for you growing up in that Baptist religion? As far back as I can remember, it was all about uh, the idea of doing the right thing, the right way, being the right person growing up in it you were told that you could do better than where you are and what you're doing as long as you did it this particular way so the the bad part about it was that using that on the mind of a young child totally manipulative no parental supervision no one to balance out what you hear being told at church versus what someone else might understand as manipulation from those people A child can't understand that, I guess is what I'm saying. So do you feel like they made it seem like it was the end-all be-all? Yes, and make no mistake, an unsupervised child at church was like fodder for the masses. It was and it is still easy to make the child trust that adult and that adult leads them right through all these steps of religious conversion. There's no one else there to explain to you what's going on. And they use big words and big ideas, and you have no idea what they actually mean. You're just following what you're being told to do without any real understanding. You know what's crazy? And I I know this is going to probably piss some people off, and other people, you know, may laugh or agree or disagree or or throw stones, but it sounds cultish. Oh, yes. I mean, that's so crazy to me that, I mean, I know there's a lot of belief systems out there that are literally cults, but it seems like a lot of religious, it's not even really religion, it's those particular churches, those particular places of worship where it sounds like a cult, like they they are taking advantage of children who have no parental supervision. Mm -hmm. How, I mean, no wonder churches were able to get away with, you know, stuff like abuse. Absolutely. If they're trusted, right? They're trusted. They're not just parents. They're not just authority figures. They're like God's authority figures. So I can imagine what they say and do is the God-like way. And so you're expected to do that as well. Absolutely. One of the things in the earliest memories that I have, and I want to say this was uh, maybe around seven or eight, maybe I went to, and this is a very, it's not very different from typical Baptist church, but it was an independent Baptist church. So they have a little bit different beliefs than what we consider a Southern Baptist church who have a little bit more 
people who can control that sort of church. But these independent Baptist churches tend to be very small, and the kids that are brought into it are made to feel like a part of that family because it's such a small church. So you sit with your youth leader or your Bible teachers or whatever it is, and you do, you begin to look at them as a parental figure and you believe what they tell you to believe and how they tell you to believe because you trust that an adult has your best interest at heart. And they should. And, <laughs> and they should. Yes, ma'am. Oh, my goodness. Well, at what point did you start thinking and wondering, is this really the way? I think it took me quite a while, honestly. Um, when I was 12, I was at a different church by that time. And, of course, I had a lot more knowledge under my belt still going for the same reasons my friends went to church and because they were doing it then obviously I should do it but back to the independent Baptist church when I was so young the only concept they gave me was that I was going to hell and hell was eternal separation from this good guy in the sky kind of ideology so I was scared I walked the aisle quote unquote at eight years old doing something I had no concept of well, obviously, years later, I felt the need to do it again at, let's say, 12. I want to say it was about 12. I walked the aisle again and asked the pastor for forgiveness for all my sins. And obviously, meaning, you know, that I was asking to God, but he was the quote-unquote intercessor for me, as if I couldn't talk to God myself, which is something they don't tell you right off. I knew then if I kept walking the aisle that something wasn't right, but I didn't know what it was. There was still a part of me that didn't seem to get it, to understand it. I didn't identify with it in the way that I saw my other friends doing. And also those friends had their families at church. So they were doing it in mass, for lack of a better word. Their whole family was this way. So it made more sense for me to want to be like their whole family, considering that mine didn't even come to church. Just out of curiosity, did they make you feel like they were the only ones who can talk to God? I think in the beginning I saw it that way. Now this this church that I was at at the time of 12, and again, we were a little bit older so we could understand more that we had the capacity to talk to God, but he was some guy in the sky, old white man, big robes, nothing about living within you. And even the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is within you. Like you don't understand that at 12. You don't understand that what you keep looking for on the outside of you is actually on the inside of you this whole time. But yes, they, they definitely made it seem as if they were the ones who were going to intercede on our behalf, I guess, at that time. Got it. So they were like the messengers. Yes. That we should trust what they had to say because they knew what God wanted for us. I mean, at that point, they can say anything. And of course, you know, the super followers are going to believe whatever they say. Absolutely. And to do so, you would be considered different than anyone else in your youth group. And that's one of the last things that you want at that age and time of your life is to be considered different. You know, your whole ideology at that time of your life is fitting in, being one of the group, one of the crowd feeling normal like everybody else must air quote feel right at 12 years old too we think we know everything oh absolutely it's like sixth grade <laughs> right absolutely in what ways did your religion and church affect you in negative ways mostly it made me very very short-sighted as 
to what is actually out there. It became the end-all, be-all of what, to me, religion, and that's the word I used at this time, what religion was supposed to be. It kept me focused on this one thing again outside of myself. I didn't realize how church and religion had affected me, honestly, until recently. Like most of my life, I just assumed that what had been happening was normal. Um, I had blindly believed whatever I had learned at church. I was saved and baptized when I was 12. But then again, back to, I did it again when I was 26. So still, something in me knew that it hadn't taken hold, for lack of a better word. I'm still searching at 26 after these first two experiences earlier in life. Somewhere in my mind, I realized that I wasn't feeling what I should be feeling with this old white man in the sky, God. The religious part of it kept me held prisoner to an idea that my sins were keeping me separated from God. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is powerful. And especially as a child. Yes. Yes. I can't even imagine. I didn't grow up in religion. Thank goodness. My parents... They didn't go to church. You know, my mom was kind of Christian. My dad was kind of Catholic, but they never forced anything on us. Everything was wide open. I went to church a few times with friends and stuff like that, but it was never really a big deal. So I can't imagine growing up like that in that kind of environment. Exactly. You know, religion kept me held prisoner. And more than anything, I had learned about the only God recognized was those recognized by organized religion. I had no idea what the Bible actually meant what it actually said because I just kept listening to that pastor standing on the pulpit telling me how I should believe. I didn't know that I could believe for myself. And at 26, when I began questioning this God, I was still only given the pat answer, you know, that you'll feel it or just give it a, give it some time, you know, to be still, pray to God, he'll fix it. No one was willing to step out on a limb and say, maybe you should read and learn more about these questions that you're having. Brainwashed would be an appropriate understanding, I think, to me of what was happening. Mm-hmm. The time between going to church. So when you were 12, you went and then at some point you stopped and then later on you came back at 22. In between those years, what did you feel? Did you feel guilt for not going and, and walking down the aisle and asking for forgiveness? I left I won't say I left because I even went to a Baptist college. So even after I went through that 12-year-old stage and just kept going because it seemed like that was what I was supposed to do, I went to a Baptist school here in East Texas. I stuck with it even to the time that I met my husband then and really never walked away from it in light of the fact that I took a step away from it. Uh, physically, but in my heart, I had already started that detaching process. I never feel like I actually left from it until this time in my life when I realized there was more about spirituality that I needed to seek than religion. And all I had known up till now was religion and rules and dogma and control and good or bad, evil or holy, those kinds of things. Now, since you've been out on your own and, and sort of building your own spirituality. Have you felt God? Oh, yes. And thank God above that I have, or I would be sad, I think, depressed, miserable. To lead up to this, I had gone through a really bad marriage 
And in this marriage, this man that I had married had become a pastor. This thing in my life that I didn't even wholeheartedly have a good hold on, a good concept of, now I'm married to, literally. And we were very, we were 21 and 22 when we married. And of course, doing the very biblical wife thing, I followed him in his ideology of church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I knew there was a problem when I decided one Sunday night I didn't want to go to church. And he actually got so mad that he picked up a TV and threw it across the room because I was being a disobedient wife. So at that point, I realized that his God and my God might not be the same God. I'm not sure what he was doing, but my God wasn't throwing TVs. Right. (laughs) So that's when, honestly, the, the... break began to happen, not only in my marriage, of course, but with my understanding, if that was God, I wanted no part of that. I stayed in the marriage because I had children and I wasn't willing to walk away, which was a big mistake. That's a whole different subject for another day. However, um, in that time, there were the beautiful things about, I don't want to hate on religion, but there were beautiful things about it because I did become an ordained Methodist minister myself. Beautiful thing about Methodists is that they allow their women to preach. So we're not under the same dogma of women should be seen and not heard, which even in the Bible, you'll find that, which is awful, but it is, it's in there. It offered me the opportunity for my passion, which is learning. And I actually began at that point to read the Bible for my own learning and understanding and wisdom and guidance. So there are very beautiful things about religion. And at that point, it became spirituality. I got out of what someone was telling me to control me and finding those stories and scriptures and parables and things that meant something to me in my heart. That is when... I began yearning and striving for something that wasn't just outside of me anymore, but inside me. Amazing. That is a huge step. I mean, at any age, really. I um, Now that you're talking about it, I have a friend, coworker that was in her 70s. And we were talking one day and I was talking about a book I was reading called Conversations with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know, yes. you know very well, yes. Neil Donald Walsh. Yes. Amazing series. I recommend it for anybody who has questions about their own religion or spiritual beliefs. Sure. Um, or even if you don't, it's super interesting. But this poor woman, she had been raised super religious her whole life. And, you know, part of it was great for her. It, it helped her believe in something bigger than her. But as I was talking about this book and some of the concepts in it, she was really confused. And she thought there's no way in hell. <laughs> pun intended there's no way in hell that this can be true and i said you know what take my series with you take it home read through them and then come back and talk to me i said even if you read things that you don't believe that's okay because it's going to help you solidify your own beliefs if you don't believe it great if you do fine so she came back a couple weeks later and she was crying mm-hmm. she was bawling mm-hmm. and she said i just want to thank you for introducing me to another way of thinking. She said, I had no idea, and it sounds silly, but she said, I had no idea that there were other belief systems out there mm-hmm. that didn't have so many rules and, and controlled by fear. She said, I've been afraid my whole life to do anything. I've been afraid to live because I'm afraid it's considered a sin. I'm afraid of going to hell. 
So she was totally brainwashed. I mean, and she's in her 70s. But thank God, at least now she has a little bit of time to kind of find her own thing, you know, find her own beliefs. But that's just crazy to me. Poor, poor thing. And and it's not all religions and it's not all churches or, you know, places of worship. I totally understand that. And I think there's a lot of good that comes with it, too, with the right intentions. But with that being said, did you have positive experiences in the church? Do you feel like you took some positive things away from that experience? Absolutely. One of the greatest things that I realized from being in the church was that I was really good at leading. I was really good at being able to communicate with other people and especially teenagers. So I was a youth minister in two different churches. And honestly, it allowed me to start influencing them a little bit differently than what the church was going to. And that is when I started really flourishing and studying the Bible. And because we know as teachers, when we teach, we also learn. And that was the thing that really got my, it, it, the creative part of, I can make an influence in someone else's life. I can take them out of this old white man in the sky kind of God and start making them understand that it's more of a personal relationship. I got rid of the word religion altogether when I was teaching and started teaching the kids about a personal relationship, that what the Bible had to say was an allegory. It was parables. It was stories. It wasn't meant to be as it's been interpreted. For instance, the Bible has books of it that weren't even put into the Bible as we know it right now. They actually have left out so many books that have actually ended up in the Catholic Bible and in the Latin Vulgate, and they never even made it into the Bible that we're reading now. And you ask yourself the question, why? So what I learned more than anything was that there's a whole lot that we weren't being told or taught at church. They weren't teaching the history of, of any of this at all. They were just teaching about an ideology. And here I am again being the learner and the one who wants to know everything I can get my mind on. And I've realized that we're being fed half-truth everywhere. Right. They don't tell the whole story. It's not lying. They're just not telling the whole story, right? Right. Absolutely. And in doing so, that keeps us subjugated to the control of the church. They're not going to tell you about the story of Mary Magdalene, that she has her own book, or that Thomas has his own writings, that there are parts of the Bible. I have a Bible that has stories that were not put into our Bible, and when I read them, I understand why they were kept out, because it doesn't seek to control us. It teaches us that we have our own will and our own mind and our own way of being able to experience who God truly is. That makes so much sense. So it, it's probably fair to say that you kind of grew up in fear of the church or in fear of God. Yes, absolutely. That was the hardest thing to come out from under, to tell you the truth, because here I was trying to make these changes and knowing that it was against everything that I had been taught in church, knowing, and these are, again, certain churches. So I made my revolution through churches from a very staunch independent Baptist church to a Southern Baptist church 
to a non-denominational church, which is more freeing than any other if you're going to be in a church. Thank God you can sit in a non-denominational church where at least you get out of the confines of a denominational rhetoric. So Mm -hmm. the fear is still there, don't get me wrong, because every day you're questioning, he's standing in the pulpit and you're questioning, what the hell? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. (laughs) Why would you say that? And why would you scare people? And here's here's the hard part about it. They're just a product of their own environment too. They've been brought up believing this and therefore they're teaching this because, holy shit, they believe it. They actually believe this and they're not questioning any of what they're telling to anybody else. So fear, yeah, big, huge, all the time questioning, am I doing, why am I doing this? Am I doing this right? Am I doing it wrong? Why don't I feel like this is right for me, this church? It's so weird for me to think of growing up in fear of God because mm. because I didn't have any belief system. I've only experienced my own relationship with God, with the universe, with source, whatever you want to call it. And all I've ever experienced is pure love, unconditional love, no judgments. I've never believed in sin, never believed in the devil or anything like that. So I feel super grateful and blessed. Um, but I also know that I had my own struggles that I had to, to get through to get to soul search for my own spiritual beliefs. I think that it is part of your path for sure, obviously. Mm-hmm. You going through that and other people that have gone through that with fearing God their whole life mm-hmm. and coming out the other side mm-hmm. where they found their own true religion and their own true spirituality. I think that's a blessing. I think that you had to get through the junk to get to the real God. How do you feel about that? I've taken so much time to unlearn church. That is my biggest deficit that I feel like at 47 now, and I didn't really start unlearning church until about, well, religion. I haven't, I was 44 and I've had to unlearn a good 30 years of this and it's awful. I hate everything about the time that it's taken from me. I'm resentful. And I know that I can get past it, and I have, and I will. And But there'll be moments that even saying a prayer, I get angry because I feel like I fall right back into praying to that big white man in the sky. And I have to stop and redirect where I'm headed with this prayer. I could have used my time so much more effectively if, like you, I hadn't been raised in church and hadn't been raised in the fear of, if I do this wrong, I'm going to hell. And even the concept of hell and heaven, I don't believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. Not at all. That is actually a, a, one of my questions for you, is do you believe in heaven and hell? And if you don't, like, what, what do you believe? Oh, great. That's a wonderful question. I, I like that question now because I feel like, here's one thing, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Someone very wise once told me, believe whatever you want, but be prepared to defend it. And of course, that was you to know what I believe (laughs) and to know why I believed it. And here's my concept. Here's what I've learned about for me, for heaven and hell. And of course, again, it's its own cycle of trial and error, I guess, trying to find your path, which you will. Like you said, our paths are ever changing. What you began at one stage is not how it looks even six months later. But for me, I had to understand that there was such a thing as reincarnation. Now, as Christians, we're not taught that at all. We're taught that we get one life, one chance, we live, 
we die and based on our good deeds or bad deeds, we're going to heaven or we're going to hell. That is so arbitrarily wrong. It's just awful to consider that we don't merit going to a good place or a bad place, whichever we've done. So I don't believe in that anymore. I do believe that we live, that we make an agreement to come to this world. We live this life. We learn what we can. And when we leave this world, we either choose to reincarnate to learn what we haven't learned before, or we do spend eternity. We choose to stop the cycle. And I believe that it is an eternity. If you stop the cycle, I believe that that is your choice and that you've learned all that you're going to learn from this life. And you do spend the rest of your eternity. Energy never ceases. So our souls are just energy. And when they're done with the energy of this body, they have to go somewhere. And I believe that is an eternity. But I believe it's not golden streets. I don't believe it's anything like that. But I do, it is, I do believe that it is a connected uh, straight line to source, to your higher power. If you call him God, source, higher self, whatever you connect to your life as your higher power, I believe that you get to seek out the rest of eternity connected directly to that higher power. And honestly, the Bible teaches that we get to spend eternity with God. So it's not a misconception. I think it's just being taught badly. I believe that being here on this earth, separated, and the Bible says it, to be separated from God. Well, we are separated from God here on this earth. I believe this earth here and now is our hell. We are separated from that source, that physical connection to the original creator that brought us into being at all. I totally agree. I don't believe in heaven or hell. I think that heaven is just the place where you're back with source and like you said hell is what we've created for ourselves on earth because we know damn well that we have mastered suffering yes individually as a human race we have mastered suffering so we've created our own health i mean look around look at the the atmosphere and the, the global warming i mean you know although trump says it's not real um, obviously, he's full of shit. Absolutely, we can see the signs all around us. And I also, I also believe that yeah, when we come here, we agree to forget that we're connected to Source, so that we can truly have a human experience. Absolutely, and I think that that's the only way it would work for us to even be here. You can't experience God if you already know God. While we're here, I believe that we are in an illusion of separation. Yes. So that we can experience God through our own experiences. Absolutely. Um, in the end, we're all connected. We're all part of God. We don't separate from God, but we rather have an illusion of separation so that we can experience God's self. So I think that's a beautiful way to think about it. And, and that's a huge jump for you from heaven or hell and being damned for eternity to now all of a sudden, there is no hell other than on earth. And it's just love for the rest of your existence. That's amazing. It is one of the things that um, has been hardest for me, I think, in reconciling any and all of this is that love was a hard thing for me. And you know this because of our personal conversations. Events in my life have hardened my heart. Experiences that make me close off to the feeling of the emotion of love. And so if God is love, and he is creator, higher power, 
source, whatever you want to call him, that is all he is, is love. So those of us who have had terrible experiences, and a lot of us have, those experiences pose off a part of us that is that direct line to our higher power, God, source. One of the things that's the very hardest to unlearn is that people treated us in ways that have kept us also from experiencing the true love of that father figure or that creator or the person that we're supposed to be able to talk to easily and openly. So back to the experiences of what love, what God is, and that love having to find the balance of I can love and trust this thing where I didn't love and trust humans in my life and things that they had done to make my life so much more difficult. Oh, that brings up a really great question. Do you find it also affected the way you could love yourself? Oh, sure. Um, One of the biggest things that I deal with is shame and guilt. And I'd like to say that I've beaten that, but I haven't. It's still a place, and I hate to say it, but religion does beat that into us, that they use scripture to do that. You know, no one is worthy of God's love. And then on the next level, they'll use another scripture to say that nothing can separate us from God's love. So you have all of this shame and guilt and not good enough, and we've got to confess these sins that we don't even know what they are. Those things keep us from truly loving ourselves in a way that is healthy and teaches us to open and to grow and to not always beat ourselves up and berate ourselves or hold ourselves in contempt for something that is just normal, everyday human screw-up. So whatever it is that you use to cope, And for me, drinking became a big part of being able to cope with a bad marriage. And every time I would overdrink, I would have this deep sense of shame and guilt. And while it was shown to me there, I also realized that it had been done to me from um, parents, things in my life that I was made to feel shame and guilt for. So for me, it's an ongoing pattern in my life to experience shame and guilt instead of love and acceptance. And that is one of the things that I work on a lot and have tried to learn how to forgive myself for all of that and get past it and get through it. That's huge too. And you know, it's, it's crazy. A lot of people don't like to admit their quote unquote faults, Mm -hmm. but it's what makes us human. We are all human. We've all made mistakes. We all at some point or other have experienced issues with self-worth. Yes. I, that was a big one for me. It's just my whole life feeling like I was unworthy of God's love, that I was unworthy of God's gift. And so it took me a long, long, I want to say like 20 years to really come into my spiritual gifts as far as, you know, the intuition and the energy healing because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel like I had done enough or been enough to be worthy of the gifts that God would provide. So I think that it's really brave of you um, speaking up like that. And and people got to understand we've all been through shit. We all deal with shit every single day. But how you deal with it 
is what makes you happy or miserable, right? Absolutely. One of the, the greatest things I think has been realizing that I'm no different from anyone else. And they would look at me and I would consider that I'd made a fool of myself and they could just laugh it off because with that shame and guilt also comes judgment. Nobody judges me harder than I judge myself. And I think that also is a byproduct of having been raised in church where they say, you know, you know, he with no sin, you know, cast the first stone and that we judge not lest ye be judged. But let's be honest, the church is the first grouping of people who are likely to judge us and what we do, be it lifestyle choices, be it um, political views, anything, anything that separates us from what they deem as truth, we're judged for. And it's something that you learn there. I hate to say it, but my, my biggest defense is that judgment of not only myself, but other people. And that is something that I've worked so hard on this past probably four years is to get out of the judgment of seeing someone and making that snap judgment about who or what they are and to learn that that's none of my business. It, it has really nothing to do with me. So walk on, you know, live your life and let them live theirs. The beauty of being able to make connections with people who are in church, to make connections with them outside of church, and to be able to finally express to them one-on-one, -on -one, like your opinions, views, and ideas, and to see the light come on in their own eyes. And that's when you know that your past has affected theirs. And without having to fight or have thoughts or problems or any negative, you can sit and discuss these things with your first Baptist 72-year-old wonderful friend, and she understands about my being gay, how that has nothing to do with how I love God, and that she doesn't get to judge my life because I love somebody differently than her. What I understand is that God is love. And again, let's go back to God creating us. If God created me this way, and he has, and then you need to meet me where I'm at. You, you said that God makes no mistakes when he makes us. Well, is that truth or is that false as you're judging me because of my lifestyle or my political views? But we've had the opportunity to reach out to other people and begin to share our stories and let them know just because we're gay doesn't mean that we don't love God. Just because we are different doesn't mean that your, your God hates me. My God loves me just the way I am. And being able to have the conversations with those people who are still caught up in religion has been beautiful. You mean you don't think God fucked up when he made us? <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's my story sharing with uh, my friend who is a very religious older woman who I adm admire and respect so much she has often held about especially gays not put it this way because that's such a touchy subject in the church they get up and they preach about how it's wrong 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 based on a few scriptures that they've taken and lumped in or taken apart from also don't wear two different types of clothes and don't eat any meat of animals that have hooves so they leave all that in there and they don't care about that but they pull out the one scripture that talks about homosexuality in their point of view so having the conversation with her about this part of church 
not only am I gay in my family, so is my brother, so is one of my nephews, so is a niece, so is a cousin. So she understands now that it's hereditary. She would believe that it was a choice. And I was like, you don't have a choice. If we had a choice, we'd choose an easier way in life. But because the church has indoctrinated her to these beliefs, that's just what she believes. Like, but she loves us. So she has this dark night of the soul, this, this wondering, well, now what do I do with this? Because these people I love and care about are gay, but my Bible teaches me it's wrong. Now what do I do with it? So sitting back and watching her grow through this has been a beautiful experience. Oh, that's amazing to be able to witness it. So kind of back to sin, to me, I don't understand it. And part of that is probably because I wasn't raised in a church, but I don't understand the idea of sin, the theology of sin. To me, it's like, if it feels good, how could that be considered a sin? If it feels right, Mm -hmm. how can that be a sin? And, And why would God give us free will just to punish us if we use it? Exactly. That was one of my questions all my growing up years. If I was ever supposed to question God, why do I have these questions? Because no one wanted to answer the hard questions. So what I've learned for myself, and this is what I would give to anybody who was struggling with the idea of what sin is, sin is different for everybody, but it's not even sin. It's just degrees of what is right for you or what is wrong for you. I would never call it sin. What is right for me is being married to a woman. That's not right for everybody, although that is my right. It is their wrong. So there's, to me, no sin. It's just what is right for you and what is wrong for you. And it's, and it's not even right or wrong. It's, to have a light, you have to have a dark. Everything has to have a polarity. Balance is the key point of this whole universe. We have to have that polarity of light and dark, um, in and out, up and down. Those things have to be because you have to have the opposite. That's the balance of everything. So to say good and evil, you could call it that, but if someone wants to go out and drink and get drunk and live that way every day, that's not right for me, but for them, it's fine. So this is a personal choice. So sin, as taught by the church, is only in conformity to what they deem is right or wrong. And you can't say what is right or wrong for the masses, although that's what church has done. That's like sex before marriage. You know, marriage is a human construct. It's not a God construct. God didn't say two people should get married and should sign a contract saying that they're going to be together forever. Although it may say something like that in the Bible, but <laughs> we all know it's not a God construct. That's not a, a, a spiritual construct. That's not something that energy says, you know what, I want you to sign this contract. So how could it possibly be mm-hmm. wrong? <laughs> you know, it's wrong in the eyes of the churches and the, the religions that want to say you should do this and do that and, and live the way that I say you should live. And that's how you get closer to God. Or, you know, the higher you have your hair, the closer you are to God or whatever. I, I'm living in Utah, so bear with me. <laughs> I um, It's just really interesting. I mean, it's and it's sad that people live in so much fear every day when there's so much beauty and so much joy and so much fucking crazy shit you can experience with God. Mm -hmm. One of the things that struck me one day, I was prompted to get up out of bed and just go write. It's the first time I've ever done anything like that. And I wrote basically what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast about how I ended up in church altogether. But I realized that it took me leaving church to find God. I had to leave the church 
to find God for myself. And even the Bible talks about, and this is what, this is why the Bible is my holy text. And, and that's a beautiful thing. I think that everyone should have a holy text, a sacred text, be it the Quran, be it any of the, of the holy books, Tao Te Ching, the Bible, anything that speaks to your soul and gives you instruction and hope. The Bible talks about, I've come so that you can have freedom. So the Bible tells us all of these things. But the, the way that it's taught, you know, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. What do you think life means to the fullest? Well, the church isn't going to tell you that you can do all the things that you want. Like you were talking about sin. If you're living, if it feels good and you're doing it, isn't that life to the fullest? So even the words of the Bible have been taken and twisted so that they can subvert and keep people into this cookie cutter this is the way it's supposed to be because we say so. As we say in history, the people who win the wars write the history books. Well, obviously we know that Christianity came along and because they've changed the world view, you know, they came along and killed so many people in the name of God. They've written the book and the book that they've written is a farce. It's not even interpreted correctly. The original Hebrew has been so skewed that when we say father, Son and Holy Spirit, you're thinking it's three aspects, three masculine aspects of God, but the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit was actually feminine. And in the original Hebrew, it was considered Father, Mother, Son. But the, t the Bible doesn't teach you that. No one in church is going to teach you that that Holy Spirit, that Shekinah, is a female aspect. Mm. It is the Father, the Son, and the Mother unifying the idea of God the Father, God the Mother, and the offspring, the Son. Holy shit. You just gave me chills, dude. When you were talking about the, that being a, a female aspect, mm -hmm. and look at where we're at now, where the feminine energy is finally coming forward and bringing everybody along with it. Absolutely. But we should have had it all along. I mean, if we understood that, mm -hmm. we should have had it all along. Yes, because the interpretation of the Bible, how can you believe something that was interpreted so badly? How can you take your whole life and your whole belief and everything inside of you is built on this Bible being the truth and you find out that it's been interpreted so poorly from the original meaning that it was given in Hebrew. It is, it is so crazy. And that is where, for me as a learner, I finally was able to walk away with peace. I can leave walking away from this Bible and see it as a story because it wasn't even written well. Imagine if fairy tales were written the way that they were so that we have to depend on the man to come along and take care of us, to rescue us. All these things, Cinderella, Snow White, all of these things that we have put into fairy tales, well, the Bible has done the same thing. It's a fairy tale that comes along and God rescues us from ourselves. That is bullshit. <laughs> Totally agree with you there. I also have to tell you that your comment about you had to leave church to find God mm -hmm. really hit my heart. That is amazing to hear that the church and religion are not the end all be all, that there's many other ways out there and many other ways that actually could help you find a lot more happiness and a lot less fear. Absolutely. And I do have to say, I just, I just posted something the other day on Facebook that made me crack up. 
and it was chivalry isn't dead it's just lesbian yes. now <laughs> yes chris and i were talking about that just a while ago can you describe sort of what your daily spiritual practices are and how you incorporate religion and spirituality into that? Absolutely. So my spiritual path had to start slow because I wasn't easily able to walk out of the church without the guilt and the shame. So I wasn't ready to walk away from the traditional old white man in the sky God. I felt such an intense guilt about disowning God that I had to do it slowly. And that happens as you know, some of us call it the dark night of the soul, like this thing. What was it that prompted me to be able to walk away from what I'd always known? And you mentioned it earlier, Neil Donald Walsh, in his conversations with God. He was just a Christian that was tired of living through the hell that he was living through. And he started questioning God. And, oh, my God, God started answering. And he his his uh, conversations were literal conversations that he had with God that he recorded. So I had to walk away by degrees to get where I am now. I would say that I had to start by listening to Neil Donald Walsh and everything that he had to say, because he's still primarily the Christian values, but putting a spin on the fact that God talks back. When did we finally start learning to hear God and not just to pray to God? When did we shut up long enough get an answer from him and that is what neil donald walsh teaches us and then i started listening to wayne dyer and man is he incredible if you haven't listened to him or read his book you're truly missing out because this man loves god but he also understands the truth of who god is and then i went on to listening to louise hay so for her teaching us that everything that we need to know about what's wrong with us and our sicknesses and our diseases, a solution is found within us. So does Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer teaches us the same thing. So my daily spiritual practice began with listening to these people over and over and over again until I finally came to the fact that, oh, I actually have the spiritual practice that I should have had all along with being in church so i would get up and i would listen to these guys and i would come to my as i call it my sacred space i light my candle i light incense i put on meditation music for 45 minutes to an hour and i try and close out the world the beautiful thing, I listen to Dr. Joe Dispenza all the time. He's talking about the mind. And he says, if you sit down in meditation and you don't get up differently than when you sat down, you haven't made the changes. You haven't done the work. So each time you sit in meditation, you should leave it a little bit differently than when you sat down in it. So I meditate and I, I don't, I won't say I pray, but I make petitions to the universe. And it begins by just being thankful. Just just the, the things that you taught me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Those things started building to where now I sit. I do the meditation. I come out of meditation. I pull a tarot card. I want to see, you know, my divination tools. I want to work with. And then for me, it's also yoga and exercise. 
I believe that a part of a spiritual practice also needs to bleed into your physical life as well. I believe you take care of your mental, spiritual, emotional, physical, all together. Holistically. Yes, ma'am. Beautiful. When you do meditate, for you, what is the difference between meditation and prayer? Um, meditation is the time for me to just be quiet. Don't pray and ask the universe anything. Be still. In meditation, you get many more images than words. So I try and be quiet at that time and see what the universe has to show me. Now, my difference in prayer is really comes to prayers and petitions. Because I have such a hard time, quote unquote, praying, because it's still a part of me that is resentful to that old man, white, white man in the sky god. I have the petitions that I, I call them petitions rather than prayers. I give them to the universe, to that higher consciousness of myself. I believe that within me is God. So when I make my prayers or my petitions, I give them to my, as I call them my spirit team, my goddess, guardians, guides, and gods. That's what I call them. They're my spirit team. They're the people. Um, some people, it's ancestors. Some people, it's angels. However you see it is right for you. And that's the beauty of spirituality. Whatever is right for you is right. Don't question it. Don't second guess it. It's right for you. Right. May not be right for anybody else, but that doesn't matter. That's absolutely right. That's what um, somebody asked me recently. Well, I talk to God all the time, but how can I hear God? Mm -hmm. Be quiet. Shut up. Meditate. Yeah, shut the hell up. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. It does take practice, mm -hmm. just like anything else, if you want to get good at it. But if you want to hear God, meditate. Yes. And meditate doesn't mean you have to lay down, no. listen to music, mm -hmm. sit in a comfortable position or lotus position. You don't have to do any of that. Do it, whatever works for you. If you need to go and take a walk in nature to quiet your mind, do that. That's your meditation. And don't expect anything. Just listen. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I forgot is with people... Who, like you can be gardening and meditate. Anything that takes your yeah. mind out of your or off of your everyday uh, problems or issues or concerns, any of that, that is what meditation is. And you're right, it doesn't have to be listening to music. I get, uh, this is what I do I get on the elliptical or the treadmill at the gym for an hour. That is my, I, I do it then also. I use that time to focus on, to meditate on the things that I want in my life. I, I put the thought before the action. So if I want something in my life, I meditate on it. I create the action of it having happened before it actually happens. And you know what? The universe only has one answer and it's always yes. So yes. if you're meditating on something, the universe says, of course, I'll give it to you. But what is it? Show me what it is. And in that prayer or meditation petition that's when you're creating your reality that's the time that I use to create what I want my reality to look like yeah we need to do another podcast on that yes by the way yes we do we absolutely <laughs> do that's where Joe Dispenza comes in all over the place for me right, <laughs> right. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned gardening too because uh two days ago I met up with a friend that I haven't seen in uh, probably gosh seven years and she just wrote a book called soul gardening oh wow 
Yes, it's a book full of stories, of spiritual journey, it's about God, it's not really set in any sort of religion. Um, I can't, I haven't read it all yet, I can't wait to read it. I will have another podcast uh, with her probably in the next few weeks. But yeah, that's a great way to one, get grounded into Mother Earth and get out of your head for a little bit oh. and meditate and just listen and use it as therapy oh. or exercise or art. Yes, ma'am. That's the beautiful thing about this is that we get to do that and, and touch Earth, touch the very things that God created and put at our disposal. It is a magical feeling when you allow it to happen. Yes, ma'am. You allow yourself to feel that connection. Yes, ma'am. Uh, question for you. Do you believe in magic? And what about magic do you believe? Oh, I absolutely believe in magic. And here's the reason why. If I've read a book, a Bible that is filled with miracles, quote unquote, what's the difference between miracles and magic? It's just perception. It's just the way that you look at it. And I absolutely understand that the idea of magic is what I create it to be. I don't have to wait for this miracle and call heaven down to, to perform this thing for me because I understand now that I have that power. That power is within me. Magic is my power within me. I love that. A couple more questions for you. This is a big one. Really think about it. What advice would you give to people who are struggling in their religious beliefs and are feeling lost? That one's a bit of a difficult one because so many people are at so many different levels of what religion is to them. So if I were answering from someone who has been steeped in it forever, the first thing that I would suggest is how well do you even really know yourself? Are you the captain of your ship or are you letting someone else steer that thing called life for you? Are you willing to do the hard thing and search your own soul for what it is that makes you happy or makes you sad? And then question, why are you struggling? What is the struggle? Is it belief? Is it um, understanding? Is it the obvious ways that the Bible contradicts itself? What is it that keeps you from having that connection to your higher source? and creator and universe in a way that obviously you're longing for because the struggle is there for a reason. I believe, like you said, once we've been through trauma and things in our life, the change and the growth in us is born out of that struggle, that that drama, trauma, whatever it is. So to tell someone what to do is really the first tenet in a lot of things, which is to know thyself. You need to know what not right and what your goal is and how will you get there. You need to have something in mind that will change what feels like a struggle into an everyday, fluid, beautiful part of your life, a path choice that allows you growth and something out of stagnant waters into thriving energy and full of life and beauty. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Like, be still. Yeah. Be still and know that you are God. It is you. You are that. The only thing, like you said, that can fill that void is not outside of you. It's within you. Ooh, yeah. There, that's crazy. I, I get the question, too. Like, well, it, especially with energy healing, uh, but even just believing in the universe and source and, and God energy, you know, what if it's all bullshit? 
And if it is? And my answer is, what if it is? Exactly. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? It is, honestly, it makes me happy. It makes me find peace and joy and experience unconditional love. And I'm secure and I'm safe in the world and in my body and in my belief system. It brings me so much fucking happiness that why would I not, you know? Yeah. Someone asked me one time, I said that if I had the opportunity, what would I do? And I said, I just want to help people. I just want to make a way for people who have no way. I want to teach them. I want to educate them. I want them to learn that they're not alone in this, that there are so many people just like you. I see so many people deal with depression and anxiety and sadness and addiction and pain. I just want these guys to understand they're not alone and there is something outside of all of that. There is hope and love and joy and kindness and growth and understanding. And they just have to be open to that. And it's not always easy to open yourself to these kinds of things. But the beauty of it is when you do, look what can happen. Yeah, I feel like if you are believing in something that is making you miserable, mm -hmm. whether it's religion or your, even your own spirituality or science or whatever it is, or these people that, that think they're atheists, mm -hmm. um, when you're living that way, I feel like they're swimming upstream. I feel like they're resisting the flow of life, the flow of energy, the, the natural flow of the universe. And then they're wondering why their life is so difficult. <laughs> well, they're swimming upstream. Sure. All you have to do is let go and fucking float. That's right. If you can do that, you will find life is so much easier and more fulfilled. Right. I think crisis of belief is the hardest part for people to take in and make those changes. I believe that that was where I began with having a crisis of belief. What is it that I actually truly believe about this world? Take everybody else outside of it. What do I actually believe? And what does it look like for me? So that might be different for everybody, especially those, those ones who don't have a spiritual practice or they don't have any spiritual direction at all. What do I actually believe about this whole plane of existence? Right, that is huge. Uh, is there anything else that you wanna share with us? You know, more than anything, I think the only thing that I would share with anybody is read the Bible. If that's, if that's still your sacred text, take time to actually examine the words and feel what they have to say. Don't just read them. If you're going to be stuck in the idea that religion is the way start reading the bible or whatever your sacred text is from a way that is personal and not just words on paper you know 2000 years ago make it a living breathing idea for today and see if it still holds the same truth for you if if it does then find out why and if it doesn't then find out what does more than anything religion has taken so many years of my life and the the ability I wouldn't trade it now because of what I've learned from it but it's been such an uphill battle do it now before you waste any more time the one thing that I feel like I've done and I tell people all the time I'm 47 imagine if I had learned this 20 years ago like you were talking about earlier it took you 20 years to step into those gifts that were given to you I don't want to keep doing that. And I would say that for other people too, 
Find out now. Don't waste any more time. If you're struggling in your beliefs, find out why you're struggling with those beliefs. Well said. Yes, I think it's time. And I feel like people are feeling it. People are feeling a pull that there's more out there, that something's missing in their life. And I feel like what's missing is their relationship with themselves mm -hmm. and their relationship with God or source or energy. Sure. There's so much more out there. And I think it's time for people to really ask themselves what their beliefs are. Sure. Absolutely. And not just what they are, but why. Am I believing this because it's, I've been brainwashed? Do I believe this because it's been instilled from my parents my whole life? Do I believe this because, you know, I went to a, a religious college? Uh, do I believe this because my friends believe this? Mm -hmm. You really have to sit down for those that do have a religious belief system. Just sit down, take some time and do some discovery. Sure. Figure out what you believe. Mm -hmm. Do I really believe this because it's in my heart and it's in my soul or do I believe this because it's been taught or has it been forced fed down my throat? Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it is, pull the belief apart and figure out why you believe it. Because if it doesn't make any sense anymore, then maybe that's not your belief anymore. You have to figure out what it is for yourself. What resonates, what feels right. Absolutely. If it doesn't feel right. It's not your truth. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's the best statement right there if it doesn't feel right then it's not your belief it's somebody else's and you've adopted it as your own but it's not so find out for yourself what you truly believe and then start your growth your path from right there and it's going to change all along the way don't be surprised mine changed so many times that <laughs> I, I i still vacillate like where i'm headed but that's the beauty of it nothing is wrong with it no part of it right. how I believe and what I believe there's not a thing wrong with it what I'm doing is building my path my spiritual growth my spiritual practice I build it daily and I think it's important that you have a daily spiritual practice even if it's five minutes in the morning of of waking up sitting up and thanking the universe that you're still here and if it's difficult ask for help you know get me through this somehow this thing this day this instant and do it often don't don't just do it once or twice make it a part of your everyday practice yes when you start coming up with your own beliefs you're living for yourself you're not living for your parents you're not living for your church you're not living for your friends you're not living for your family you're living for yourself Absolutely. this is your life to live not theirs. They have their own. That's, they have their own path. That's right. And that's the other thing. Don't argue with anyone else about their path. It's none of your business. Your path is yeah. your path for a reason. If someone wants to do something entirely different, you don't question that because you're not them. You weren't created the way they were created. You were created specifically and beautifully yourself, you. That's all. Don't worry about anybody else's path. It's not for you. It's not up for discussion. Leave it alone. So good. So good. This is a conversation that obviously we can keep going on and on and on. And, you know, maybe we will. Maybe we'll come back, you know, six months from now sure. and we'll talk about your new path. Oh. Because, again, every day changes. Oh, right? it has and it has and it has. And it's so great. And I love every minute of it. <laughs> every minute of it. It is. It's exciting. Like what's right for you today may not be right for you tomorrow. Oh, and that's OK. Yeah, absolutely. Mine has changed so much. I, I could make a, a guideline, a path of it, and watch the highs and the lows. It's hilarious. Right. <laughs>
Well, I, I am so appreciative that you joined us today. Uh, this is going to be a really good conversation for some people, you know, and some people it's going to it's going to create some uh, uncomfortable feelings in their body and their mind and their heart. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, that is a sign that you need to look at your own shit. You need to look at your own religious beliefs or your own spiritual beliefs and figure out why these things are making you uncomfortable. Absolutely. Um, I do want to say that if anybody has any questions for Kim on um, her path or how you can kind of figure out your own path, please feel free to hit me up on uh, Facebook at Sacred Resonance LLC, and I will pass those along and she'll happily talk to you about it. This is something that I know she is passionate about. Very. And um, thank you so much, Kim, for joining. No, thank you, Dora. I appreciate the opportunity just to actually get it out there. Like I said, I want to help people as, as big a grouping of people as I can. That's my goal in this life. Awesome. We will end with some affirmations for you. I am directly connected to God, source, universe. I'm a part of God. I have the power to create as God does. I am worth all of God's unconditional love. We will talk to you later. The next podcast should be coming out in the next two weeks, so look forward to it. I'll be talking to the author of Soul Gardening. Super excited about that. And for now, happy searching.